Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. But after the international backlash Russia faced over the atrocities in Bucha, Russian soldiers are now using mobile crematoriums in an effort to erase any evidence of their war crimes by disposing of the corpses of the innocent civilians they have killed. And the Mariupol mayor making this haunting comparison, quote, the world has not seen the scale of a tragedy like in Mariupol since the Nazi concentration camps. The Russian fascists turned our whole city into a death camp, unquote. And here's spokesman John Kirby on where this is headed. Um, because they're going to be able to concentrate their efforts now in a smaller geographical area, an area that they have been fighting over now for eight years, uh, we would expect that the violence is only going to get worse. Uh, the fighting is going to get more intense uh, as, they, uh, as the Russians now try to redouble their efforts in a very much smaller area of Ukraine. So, uh, so we're very concerned about this development. We're watching it. So, Jake Tapper on CNN with the mobile crematoriums trying to cover up the atrocities the Russian soldiers are committing. And then John Kirby, spokesman at the Pentagon there, saying things are going to get worse. It's hard to imagine how they could. Oof. Um, So let's bring in David Ignatius to start there. Columnist, the Washington Post, covering foreign affairs. David, welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Appreciate you joining us today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, watching these pictures and videos is just absolutely amazing. Can things get worse? Well, uh, first, as you say, there, there, as uh, Secretary Blinken put it, they're they're a punch in the gut. Uh, it's really uh, hard, horrifying to to see uh, what the Russian invaders have done. Uh, they they were pushed out of the north where they left this uh, trail of uh, gruesomely killed bodies 
that we've been seeing. Uh, and they're now uh, regrouping to attack f- from the east uh, and the south in the Black Sea, the Sea of Azov. And as, as John Kirby, the Pentagon spokesman, said, they'll concentrate their firepower, and if anything, it will be even uh, uh, nastier and more concentrated um, as they as they focus on that sector of Ukraine. Um, I've been trying to think and to write a column today for the Washington Post about how to think about the round two that's about to begin. Mm. The round one was, was bloody horrifying, but it had real success by the Ukrainian military. I mean, incredible courage in pushing the Russians back. What's round two going to be like, and what kinds of assistance should the United States and its allies be thinking about offering the Ukrainians for this second round? It'll, I think it needs to be a different mix of weapons, more armor. We, the, the Ukrainians have shown that their military is tough enough. They can use the armor that's sent in, old Soviet tanks and armored personnel carriers from Eastern European countries. They could use longer-range missiles to attack the Soviets in their rear basing areas. It's not Soviets, excuse me, Russians. Uh, so... Um, I hope that in this period, before round two begins, people are thinking carefully about how to help the Ukrainians uh, do as well as they can against the onslaught that's about to begin. Yeah, so we were just talking a little bit ago how um, it sounded like a big number when I heard out of the White House earlier this week that we had given $2 billion worth of military aid before this started and a billion cents for a total of $3 billion, but then I... I was just reading earlier today that at the height of the Iraq war, we were pumping in $9 billion of, uh, you know, weaponry a month at the time when we thought, uh, you know, uh, Iraq was important enough for that level of money. So I don't I don't know where we go uh, money wise in Ukraine and all that sort of stuff. But looking at your column today, has Putin's brutality finally hit a wall in Ukraine um, and a lot of talk about the in- investigating the crimes. These are war crimes, obviously. Is there is there any hope of anybody being held to account for any of this stuff? Well, the answer is yes, there's some hope, but it's going to take years. Um, we know from uh, war crimes investigations that followed the Balkan Wars, where there were atrocities committed, remember Srebrenica as one famous name of a, of a town where there were just terrible massacres, that people can be identified, commanders who authorized killings, and then tracked down, and that happened. And people were brought to trial in The Hague for war crimes. Um, in that case, you had the clear winners who were able to enforce the laws, um, but whether we'll have that situation here remains to be seen. But I counted in my column a number of investigations that are already underway, the International Criminal Court, not recognized by the United States, but recognized by most countries, uh, has already begun an investigation. France has three investigations underway about war crimes against its own citizens. The Ukrainian prosecutor general has 50,000 investigators gathering evidence right now. And then you have all of the social media and journalistic record that's been compiled. That's what we've been seeing, obviously, in Bucha. And it's amazing that when the Russians tried to deny that they'd ever killed all those people whose bodies we've seen in the 
terrible videos. No, 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 it didn't happen. Uh, you see, you can see the corpses are moving. People have gone back through the video imagery and shown that the Russian claims that the video images were false are incorrect, that they've gone literally pixel by pixel to show this. The Russian claims are false. These images are real. And then they've, they found overhead reconnaissance uh, film that was shot commercially back in mid-March uh, that, that show the, the bodies already in the streets in, in Bucha. So, I, yes, is the answer. I do have some hope that the evidence and the, the venue for prosecution w will be there uh, to bring people to account. Um, getting back to what you said a little bit ago really got my attention, this whole round two thing. I wasn't aware that uh, you know a round had ended and a new round is starting, and um, General Milley got everybody's attention the other day when he said this is going to be measured in years. Uh, uh, that certainly got, got my attention. He said, I don't think decades, not sure decades with the plural, but certainly in years. So he expects this to last a very long time. How do you foresee this playing out from now going forward? So I think it, it probably will last. Uh, it'll be protracted. That's the phrase that the National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan used, and Millie was amplifying that. Um, we have to remember that this war really has already been going on for eight years. Good point. The war in the East began in 2014, and it's been continuous. Uh, it's involved Russian and Ukrainian regular military units. For, for those eight years. So in a sense, you know, we're, we're, it's a continuing war. The next phase will be the decisive battle for control of this eastern region. And uh, most analysts think the Russians will, will try to uh, create a kind of zone uh, from the eastern region, known as the Donbass, across the south through Mariupol, the city that they've shattered, uh, all the way down to Odessa. Uh, past Crimea, that they'll control all of the Black Sea access to Ukraine. Ukraine will, will be landlocked, in effect, and that that's the Russian goal. And uh, and so it's going to be a pitched battle. I think part of what General Milley is saying is that even if they succeed in doing that, they face an intense resistance. I mean, the people in Ukraine, when I visited Ukraine in late January, just before the war began, even Russian-speaking Ukrainians hated the Russians. It's amazing how Putin has alienated the population of that country, which he imagines you know, loves Russia. It feels part of the greater Russian nation. Uh -uh, Do you think he actually believes anymore. that stuff? You think he actually believes that stuff he I, says and writes? He, I do. I, wow. think he, I think he believed it deeply. I think it's part of the, his self-mystification that led to this war. You have to ask, how did Putin make such a huge mistake? And I think the only answer is that he, he truly believed it. You read his essays, and it's right. almost uh, it's almost a religious uh, mission for him. Uh, so he did believe it, uh, but he's going he's gonna to face protracted, prolonged resistance in the, any areas that he conquers. So the, the Russians are facing a war like what we faced in Vietnam. We remember how that just dragged us down. A war like the Russians faced in Afghanistan finally drove them out after 10 years. A war like we faced in Afghanistan drove us out, of, out of, after 20 years. So it's hard to win those wars if you're an unpopular occupying force. And that's what, as we think about round two that's about to begin 
it'll be that kind of war. It's going to be nasty. It, it probably will be prolonged. At some point, Putin may decide, as as we did in Afghanistan, this simply isn't worth the cost uh, and choose an alternative path. But right now, uh, everybody I talk to in the Pentagon says he is determined to give it in round two the hardest shot he can. I know you were doing some uh, writing, and I heard you talking about this early on, about uh, how um, how into this story and in support of the Ukrainians the Europeans have been, and obviously you've seen that in the United States. Do we have the, the, the ability to, to, to not lose our attention? You know, we go from story to story to story pretty quickly. Um, are we going to be able to stay focused on this over the timeline we were just dis- describing? So that's the right question to ask. America, I think, is famously impatient in supporting uh, allies. In this case, it's the Ukrainians who are doing the fighting. We have a super motivated partner. We didn't have that in Afghanistan, but we sure do in Ukraine. They're fighting with incredible bravery, tenacity. And we also have lots of other allies. Ukraine is surrounded by European countries that have really found their heart. The uh, Germans, the other countries often kind of sat on their hands when it came to confrontations with Russia. Not here. They're they're stepping up. They're providing weapons, in some cases, uh, more uh, aggressively than we are. Poland, which neighbors Ukraine, uh, sees itself as being a prospective future target of Russia, is absolutely supporting the Ukrainians, providing uh, weapons, supplies, uh, a safe haven for refugees who are streaming out of Ukraine. But that's that's true of many European countries. So I think the staying power on the side of the West uh, is significant. And that's another thing that Putin has to, f- to factor in. He doesn't have you know, Hoover's allies, Belarus and and China, sort of, but China China's support has been lukewarm at best. So Putin faces an unattractive uh, campaign as he as he begins round two, uh, but he again he'll go at it I think initially with everything he has. David Ignatius, David Ignatius, columnist, Washington Post. I'm a big fan. Thanks for coming on today. Uh, it's a pleasure. It's tough to talk about, but yeah. it's good to have the chance. Thanks for inviting. You bet. I'd say it's tough to talk about. It's tough to watch. It's tough to see the pictures. It's just it's. I've said this, God, how, what have I said this a thousand times in the last six weeks? I can't believe this is actually occurring in my lifetime. Recently on A&G One More Thing podcast. Jack, this is roughly the equivalent of carrying around 224 slices of bacon in your body. Well, that's wait, the wait a minute. regular <laughs> what bacon weighs measurement that we all use. The Armstrong and Getty. One more thing. Podcast. What? Hear it on the iHeart app or wherever you listen to podcasts.